This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Well may we say God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days. Hello, and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 91 for Saturday, 4th of May, 2019. It's May the 4th. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host. Oh, in the case of this week, no guest host, because I'm going to just do one myself. To discuss... Or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> rant about uh, what's happening to our country or what's been happening, what is likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Um, this episode, uh, the main point of it is that I want to get through uh, before I uh, inflict it on another host, uh, is collection of various audio grabs from the last few weeks that we've gra- put together uh, to talk about. So um, before we do that, I suppose a bit of touch on what has been the big sort of issue from the election this week. And that really has been, uh, they've been losing candidates like well, not like flies, because they're starting in the shift rather than flying into it. But they've lost a bunch of uh, liberal, national and sort of right-wing candidates for being caught out uh, saying racist, misogynist, homophobic sort of things on their Facebooks, which is not as huge a surprise as the libs are pretending that it is. Like, at the same time that they're saying, well, that's, a, that's beyond the pale, they've also been uh, dealing with... Clive Palmer and Pauline and, and uh, trying to make uh, and making preference deals with them um, and putting them above the Greens and trying to pretend that a party for um, that seeks um, you know action on climate change and public services funded by public revenue instead of tax cuts are extremists uh, just as bad as you know xenophobes and racists so it you would have to rank your you know need to keep money. Uh, and not have to share it with anyone else as just so high or you would have to rank the problems of racism, misogyny and homophobia so low in order to make that calculation. And the fact that that's what they've made obviously is extremely revealing about those parties. The Liberal candidate for Lyons, Jessica Whelan, posted a post on Facebook saying of American feminists, quote, round them up, Donald, cut their clitorises off and sell them to Muslims in Muslim countries and cancel their passports, you'll make a mint. If she claims it was digitally manipulated and that it wasn't from her. Obviously, we've previously had federal politicians claiming that their social media were hacked uh, and then reporting it to the AFP and uh, the AFP coming back like with Greg Hunt's liking the porn, porn tweet um, and coming back and saying, no, it wasn't hacked. Um, but Scott Morrison was standing up there in um, Tasmania saying, no, 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 she was, uh, she was hacked. It's been referred to the police now. And there was some doubts about whether when he first said it that that had actually happened. And he's like, she will be, they will be referred to the police. Anyway, the Libs have now disendorsed her and she's just going to run anyway. <laughs> the Libs also had a candidate uh, who has had to quit after he was encouraging uh, conservative Christians to join the party to stop Tim Wilson from being elected. Uh, they was very angry that, that Tim Wilson got through uh, on one vote. And uh, he was very angry that, that uh, there was a homosexual MP for the Libs. Labor's lost its candidate for the uh, Greens-held seat of Melbourne, um, so it's the Adam Bant seat, when they found things that he posted when he was uh, 21 or 22, which are certainly deeply problematic. They're describing, they're describing it as a uh, 
Facebook post about rape. I'm not sure that it is a book about it. I'm not sure that it's... In any case, it's, it's problematic. Now, two thoughts about that. One is, look, uh, political parties could probably avoid these problems by just not pre-selecting um, young men. <laughs> look, you don't have this with female candidates. The, the right gets uh, has problems with female candidates because they're still uh, happy to be racist and homophobic. Um, but look, this... This level of misogyny you really, you really only get with with uh, young male politicians. So you know if you are going to look, if you are going to pre-select men, then you've just got to do a very very thorough vetting of their social media. But the second thought on that is, I mean, can people reform? Can people own problematic things they did in their early twenties to a certain extent and grow as people? Like God. I would hate if I ever ran for anything to be judged on the basis of, of 21-year-old me. I don't think I'd ever said anything misogynist and, and uh, creepy like that, but um, I'm also fairly sure that I would have said some stupid things, and I certainly wouldn't be endorsing uh, those now. And I would suggest that most people would be the same. Like, you're a very different person in your 20s than you are in your 30s and 40s. Or you're different in your 40s than you were in your 30s. You Look, unless you atrophy, unless you, you know, pick a certain level at 25 and don't develop. But most of us, you know, experience the world and the world changes and we, we learn and, and grow. And does it mean that somebody should be unelectable if you can pull out stuff out of context in those social media of a decade ago, more ago, like, at the moment, yes, because uh, apparently we haven't lost enough um, people to this stuff that, that everybody's like, okay, fine. You know, <laughs> if that disqualifies that person, it would disqualify me. Fine. There's... But I think I think a big part of it too is that I think a lot of us, as we grow, forget the things that we thought and said and did earlier. And in the old days, that was fine because there wasn't a record of it. But now anything that somebody posts like you know, half asleep at, at 21 and then um, on a on a social media website can be found, and they might not have any memory of it. They may have developed past those views and not even not even remember that they held them. So I think that's probably why people have less empathy for it, because even though it's probably something problematic that could be dug up out of context in all of our social media pasts, we don't remember it. Like if you ask me right now, you know, Jeremy, if you were going to run for office, would you need to go back and delete everything in your Twitter account and your Facebook and um, on your Instagram or whatever? I would say, oh, I don't remember ever being a terrible person. I'm pretty sure that the only things I would have ever said would have been perfectly above board. I've certainly never held racist and misogynist views uh, or homophobic views. Yeah, no, you know, okay, attack dogs, go through my social media, do your worst. But I'm not dumb enough to think that there's no way for them to find something problematic. Because, hell, I mean, even liking something or sharing something, because sometimes you share something to tear into it. Even with social media stuff that I do now, I'm fairly sure that you could find stuff that I have shared that is shit, because I've shared it with a comment and I'm making a point about it. And then, but yeah, if you went back 20 years, God knows. I don't, I mean, I don't think I've ever done anything horrible, but I don't, I don't remember anything I posted in my 20s. Do you? Anyway, there was one that I really liked, uh, one resignation, which was that the Libs kicked out a candidate, they disendorsed a candidate, and I missed this, it was like two weeks ago. The candidate for Karayo in Geelong was disendorsed, now his name was Murray Angus, 71, because he said, he told News Corp papers that he thought his Labour opponent, Shadow Defence spokesman Richard Miles, was, quote, a good bloke, and he reportedly backed unions. So they didn't tell him when uh, Scott Morrison was in the seat uh, to visit, and they disendorsed him. So, um, as per the graphic 
that the uh, Guardian put up. So far in the campaign, we've had seven candidates who have been disendorsed or resigned since the start of the election campaign for being for inappropriate comments or actions. We've had seven lost for Section 44 issues and one lost for being too nice about opponent and unions. The other thing that happened this week is that Bill Shorten went on 7.30 and Lee Sales uh, gave him a very hard time. In fact, this is, this is basically the line the Libs have been running this week. They've been like, how much will your climate policy cost? Now, it's a nonsense question because cost compared with what? Like com- Compared with inaction? How much does theirs cost? Like, how are you calculating this? And the, the policy such as its target, it depends on how many people take it up, any particular policy that's part of getting to that target. The Libs have just done the worst case scenario on everything and come up with this obscene, you know, ridiculous figure. But the media aren't asking Scott Morrison, well, how much is your inaction on climate change going to cost? Well, I suppose you would just say nothing, which is just patently bonkers. So I suppose the journalists would need to have a follow-up, which is, won't it cost this? Uh, the, you know, here, is, here is some uh, modelling showing the sort of catastrophic impacts of, of uh, unchecked climate change on the Australian economy. Look, there's there's a very good David Pope cartoon that was published this week, and I'm just going to read it to you. There's Winston Churchill doing his uh, We Shall Fight Them on the Beaches um, speech, but with uh, interruptions from journalists, which pretty much sum up the position. We shall fight on the beaches, in the fields, and in the streets. We shall never surrender. Have you modelled the impact on the economy of your Nazi change plan, Mr Churchill? When will you release the costings, Mr Churchill? Is there a risk of Britain getting ahead of the pack in tackling Nazi change, Mr Churchill? Isn't it true that we are less than 1% of the total global occupiable landmass that contributes to Nazi change? Doesn't modelling by the Hitler Institute show that it would be far cheaper for everyone to just learn German? Mr Churchill! Mr Churchill! Is this just socialism dressed up as existential survival? Mr Churchill! As he wanders off. Yeah, it was that, basically. The other thing that she was doing, though, was at asking him whether his policies were equivalent to redistribution, presumably that being a bad thing, like as opposed to anything the government does is redistributing money from one place to another. Like, well, The only way that you could have a government that doesn't redistribute anything would be to do nothing. But anyway, this is Lee's question to Bill. When we take all of the policies that we've talked about tonight, is it fair for a viewer to conclude that a shortened Labor government will be at its core about the redistribution of wealth, that you want to take more from the wealthy and give more to people on lower incomes? No, that wouldn't be right. What we want to do is have real change because, frankly, more of the same under this government isn't good enough for Australia. But as I said, when we go through your policies, a lot of where you're getting your revenue from is taxes on wealthy people, closing loopholes that mostly wealthy people can exploit, and you're wanting to spend money on lower income people. How's that not a form of changing the economy towards a, a, a model of redistribution? And obviously Bill is terrified of giving a soundbite to the Libs where they can be like, look, he's a socialist, a communist, he's trying to redistribute your money. He's going to take money from you, you know, people in Kuyong and give it to the undeserving poor. So he doesn't do that and he, he waffles and this is what he says. Well, perhaps if you bear with me for a moment, I'll answer your question. First of all, we are advocating for real change. Everywhere I go in Australia, people are sick of a lack of vision. You know this election's about a choice. The government is saying, stay the course, stay with the current mob. We're saying, no, actually, this nation can do better. That's why we are uh, closing loopholes. We're stopping spending money on franking credits. We are going to stop giving out tax checks to people who haven't paid income tax. And instead, we're going to spend that money, for example, on pension or dental. But if you, if you, if you reject no, no, hang the on, assertion... Lee, you've asked, but, you no, keep characterising my policies. To, no, no. But, well, what I want you to do is try to do it. Because well, if, 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 if I'm wrong and that it's not... The core of your government is not about 
taxing wealthy people to redistribute income to lower incomes. In a sentence, what is going to be the core of the shortened Labor government? A fair go for all. We're going to invest in people and we're going to invest in infrastructure. What we're, you, know, you ask, you know, you, you want to, let's not dumb politics down to six second sound bites. That's what annoys people. Can I suggest to Labor, I, I don't know uh, why they're not basing their entire campaign on this podcast. Uh, is, it, is it because this epi- week's episode is a day late? Is that, look, if you, is that, we're a couple of infrequent episodes, finally the point at which you just stopped listening to me. Um, although I suppose if you had listened to me, you wouldn't be running, running for the ALP or, or uh, running their campaign, you'd be in the Greens. Anyway, um, first of all, can I suggest that, like with refugees, uh, the problem with ducking these questions is that you reinforce the impression that the Liberals are right uh, and that redistribution from the rich to the poor is a bad thing uh, in the same way as refugees. You, read, you uh, endorse the idea that dragging boats back to sea, that um, trying to... Fundamentally, the idea that trying to stop refugees coming here is a, is a laudable aim, is a positive thing. If you don't stand up, particularly as the you know one of the big two parties that has the biggest soapbox, so you get heard on this a lot more than the Greens do. The media tend to ignore the Greens, and so the Greens find it really hard to argue this point. But you get lots of uh, coverage. You have the opportunity to argue back on these things. In the case of refugees, you have the opportunity to argue back. Australia can take the refugees who want to come here. With the other side of the world, they make excellent citizens. They want to be here. Also, it's part of our obligations that we signed up to after we felt guilty from, you know, dragging Jews back to Germany and just before the Second World War. We felt bad about that. We signed a convention that saying that we weren't going to do that again, and yet we're doing it now. It doesn't hurt us to take refugees. It's certainly vastly cheaper than um, offshore detention. But, I mean, all the evidence from the past is that refugees come here um, and then contribute to the economy. They don't take from it. They don't. This this fantasy of them crossing the world and then sitting on the pittance that's new stuff, what, $269 a week? You can't pay rent on that. It's implausible. Nobody's going to do that. But, of course, Labor ducks that, and so those lines, those impressions sit there. And if, if they sit there and they convince people... Then who are they going to vote for? They're not going to vote for the ALP. They'll vote for the Libs because they're, they're even nasty to refugees by a very thin margin. And likewise, on the fundamental idea of taxation being a method by which revenue is collected from the people who can afford it, the very rich, and used to provide public services, which means basically for the poor. But also, look, ideally, I would say that you, you actually want everybody to be using those services. You want to make public health and public education so good that nobody would pay for private health and private education because the only reason you do that is because the public systems have been run down to the point where you feel you have to. When the ALP ducks from questions like that, they reinforce the idea that redistribution from the wealthy to the poor is is wrong and bad. And since clearly part of their policies have to do that, because otherwise they are, they would be the Liberals, then they are basically giving oxygen to that attack. So stop doing that. Stop running away from it screaming. Don't like own it. Don't hide when it's not like Scott Morrison hides from the idea that he's cruel to refugees. He he's happy for people to think that. Like they don't run from the extreme end of their policy. You would think that if there was a balance, the Libs would have to be careful to make sure that they didn't come across as uh, insanely cruel to refugees. That they'd have to be like, no, no, we're com- we're fine, we're compassionate to them, but uh, you know we're, we've got to draw the line, and, and this is our, our method of being you know tough but fair. But they've actually they actually get away with just being outright and cruel because their their fundamental lines about um, refugees being undeserving and evil and a, and, a, and a threat to Australia have seeped into the public consciousness, so they don't even have to worry about they, they, they've got complete field wide open to just do whatever they like to them and the, the cooler um there's no cost to them at that end i mean it should be but anybody to whom there is a cost there is you know running green and not voting for the libs in the first place so labor back to shorten don't run you don't need to run from it but look 
if you do have to run for it because you're not actually all that brave, why don't you respond to those questions? If you're worried about the person listening to it being afraid, being afraid that the money being transferred is going to come from them and go to someone else. And that's that's the sort of deep fear that, that you're worried any honest answer will engender. Well, why don't you point this out? Why don't you point out to them that there is redistribution going on under the Liberals? The Liberals are not the party of the status quo. They're the party that is redistributing money from workers, working taxpayers, also from the poor. They are redistributing money from the poor, from the workers, to the rich. Point out that there is redistribution going on. In fact, right now, if you're a worker, you're out there paying... Draw it back to the franking credits thing. Right now, if you're a worker, you're going out there, you're doing work, you're paying tax, your money's being taken and given to people who own huge share portfolios. They almost certainly own their own home while you're paying obscene rents, probably to them through their self-managed super funds who own all the real estate. You are subsidising these people. Money is being redistributed from you to rich people. I would have thought that a powerful rejoinder to the redistribution thing is to point out that. Point out that the libs are not the status quo where your money is safe and stays where it is. The libs are the party that takes money from you and gives it to the people who are better off than you. There's been a lot of commentary online, actually, about whether or not the ABC story in that very same episode of 7.30 on franking credits, which uh, on the surface seems sympathetic. They received a lot of letters last time they talked about it from these... these, Poor retirees that are going to going to suffer under the changes, and they portray them as you know. Oh, really, there are their only their incomes are only what thirty thousand, forty thousand, fifty thousand. You know, they're they're fairly low incomes, and uh, you know they're going to lose thirty percent of them, and uh, they might lose the boat. Wait, what? Oh yeah, here it is. We're in the most beautiful place in the world. It's Fremantle. And I've always been a boat freak, if you want to call it that. Ever since I was tiny, I was mesmerised by things that floated on the water. I bought my first boat for 50 English pounds. It was a second-hand sailing dinghy. Retiree Steve Gleddle may look relaxed, but he's seething about Labor's plans to remove franking credit refunds from people like him. The franking credit proposal is the most unfair proposal and hostile proposal I've ever heard or seen of in my life. Steve is 71 and has been enjoying retirement for 10 years. There is an assumption that if you own a boat, you're a wealthy person, and in our case, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, As I said earlier, this is my eighth boat, and I've gotten a little bit bigger and a little bit better every time I've done it over a 40-year period. His wife Julie is 61 and she's still working in an aged care facility. Steve says he has half a million dollars in his self-managed superannuation account. That gives him an income of between $40,000 and $50,000 a year, including franking credit refunds. Steve reckons he will be 30% poorer if Bill Shorten gets his changes through. The capital remains intact. I haven't drawn on much on that. I've been able to sell a few shares and make a bit of profit. Um, but to lose $15,000 a year will hurt and hurt seriously. Now, that story being starting off with somebody who owns a boat and lives a life of leisure on their boat, like, is that the ABC being quietly 
subversive and quietly like putting up a story that maybe the liberals will share but also that it reinforces the idea of these people being the idle rich and they're the idle rich who don't think they're wealthy they're like look my my you know declared income is my declared income that is tax-free keep in mind so this is uh, considerably more than your income would be um that is you know the equivalent if you had to pay tax on it would be um quite quite a bit more but they're sitting on these vast asset pools. And in fact, there was another uh, story that was being pushed in the Sydney Morning Herald this week by, by an advocate for this, who had uh, you know, a couple of, like, I think they were 81, and they had this you know, $800,000 um, of shares. Um, which, by the way, it's a shitty policy that we're encouraging people to have vast share portfolios like that. That's I, I don't know why. One of the big threats that they keep putting in this, uh, making in this 730 report thing is that, well, we'll just take our money out of our self-managed funds and, you know... Put it in super funds, okay? And then the, we don't, why? Why is that a problem? Um, or worse, they'll say, "Oh no, we, you know, we might as well start spending it." Good. Why? When is the per, the couple who's like in their eighties and has eight hundred thousand dollars? When? What? When are they thinking of spending that eight hundred thousand dollars? What's it for? They do they realize they can't take it with them, don't they? Like, yes, spend it. Put that money back into the economy. Stop sitting on it. As some kind of vast gift for for what your kids, another untaxed transfer of wealth for from you to people who are lucky enough to have parents who can give them a vast uh, vast inheritance, like as if that's you know a basis for running an economy. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. We'll just assume that everybody's going to get a vast inheritance, even though we know that's patently not true. Clearly, most people don't get a vast inheritance, but it's just a way of benefiting one group of the of the next generation over the top of another, which is profoundly un- inequitable. Death taxes are apparently something that, again, everybody's afraid to argue. And we just see the argument to the rich who just fundamentally want to be able to transfer wealth from one generation to the next without having to you know, pay any of it to the tax man. But yeah, this idea that, that people who have vast asset pools should just be able to sit on them and live off the interest indefinitely. And not just that they should be able to do that without paying you know, tax on it and that they should be able to do that. Um, you know, uninhibited, whilst also gaining all the benefits of um, that we, we give retired people. Um, and they're clearly, whilst paying no tax, benefiting from things like the um, public health system and so forth. And, and even if they'd be like, we've got private health insurance, well, we're still giving you um, that the money that we give for you for the private health rebate. Um, but I'm also willing to bet that you also use the public service where you need to and when it suits you. Yeah, the idea that not only should they not be paying any tax for this um this wealth and uh, all the people who are affected by this to a substantial amount are sitting on. But the idea that they're self-funded while the rest of us are paying money to them gets stuffed. Anyway, it's just extraordinary. I, uh, it, it staggers me that this is a line that the Liberals are still running. Like, we've joked about this in an episode, God, earlier this year, maybe late last year, when they first started running this inquiry. And I was saying I think this is a massive own goal for the Libs because the franking credit thing is a rort. Uh, and it's a rort that costs all the rest of us, and it's a small number of Australians at the very top who are benefiting from it. And they betray themselves as as poor and and uh, you know on their boat. I mean, how does it cost to make to, to like fuel that boat to make it even move? But yes, so from their boats they say that they they feel poor because, and they they say look, yeah, you know, our incomes are, are very our taxable incomes are very low. Yeah, because your taxable incomes have been minimised. You use negative gearing to minimise them. You use all these other um, rorts because you, you would prefer to pay an accountant than have that money go into general revenue and fund public services. While you're sitting on that income, somebody who is unemployed is being forced to do work for free through mutual obligation, 
look for a ridiculous number of jobs, regardless of where they are, regardless of what jobs are available, and getting $269 a week to live on, which they can't because you can't even pay rent with that, let alone buy food. It's just obscene. And they, these people are like, oh, taxpayers should be giving that money to me, not a poor person. <laughs> Can't stopped. The other actual real policy that the ALP put up this week uh, was the one to pay childcare workers more. And as a result of that, we now live in a communist state. Here's uh, Education Minister Dan Tian. I mean, this is a fast track to a socialist, if not communist, economy. Unheard of. That's Education Minister Dan Tian reacting to Labor's plan to give free childcare to low-income households, earning a family income of $69,000 a year or less. When they say they're going to be free, taxpayers are paying for this. Seriously, the Liberals are genuinely running this basically taxation is theft bullshit, this idea public services aren't free, the taxpayer has to pay for them. <laughs> gotcha. You said they were free, but they're not taxpayers. Get that, you idiot. Yes, technically, anything that uses taxation to fund services is redistribution, and it's kind of socialism. But, look, are all, are all taxes socialism? Like, is your preferred ideal not of not socialism, you know, the, the Mad Max uh, wasteland of, of uh, you know, rich people being driving in armoured convoys between their compounds and uh, the rest of the, the world being just this you know, savage, libertarian utopia of brutality, violence and uh, chaos. Look, any time there is money that's taken from taxes, if that's socialism, well, then he's socialist. But clearly it isn't. If he's saying that it's when it goes to something progressive, like a public service, that's socialism. When it goes to, you know, supporting workers and paying for a necessary service being childcare, that's socialism. When it goes towards, you know, funding social security, so we have a safety net, uh, so that we're it's harder for employers to exploit workers because they have a fallback. Uh, that's socialism. Whereas taking you know half a billion dollars and giving it to the war memorial, that's not socialism. Look, you're redistributing money from me to shitty like to that Cook memorial, to the war memorial, to, all, to random crap. It doesn't help anyone. That's not a public service that makes life better for people. But you're happy to squander huge amounts of taxpayer cash on that eighty million dollars spent on those. Uh, on the water on those that that uh, floodplain for the flood water that may never that may never reappear. Like the libs spend taxpayer money. Is that socialism or is it only socialism when it goes to something that actually benefits people? Anyway, Bill Shorten's policy on childcare is a positive, and uh, kudos for them for actually doing it. Having said that, here's Bill Shorten being an absolute dickhead uh, and agreeing with an absolute, even more absolute dickhead um, scummo uh, in the first leaders debate. Um, it's not like, yeah, we just have, just have Labour and Liberal. We can just pretend that those are the only two. We'll just reinforce the line that you've got to vote for one of them, uh, even when, or like on this issue, they're of one mind. And we haven't had a boat arrive successfully in Australia for years. Liar! And I don't want to see that start again. And I know what it takes to keep them stopped. Liar! And I'm telling you, the Labor Party doesn't because they haven't learned the lessons from when they were last in government. Sometimes in politics, this may surprise viewers, we can actually agree with each other. And on some parts of what the government policy is, we now agree. I actually accept that both turnbacks work. Liar! And I've convinced my party to accept that. Yeah, no, get stuffed, Bill. Like, when you say... I love turnbacks as a phrase. Like, it sounds fine. We're just turning them back. Turning these people that we've demonised into... We're just sending them home. That sounds lovely. <laughs> Rather than turnback. What turnback actually means, which is taking a boat that we say is leaky and dangerous and dragging the people on it, the refugees on it, out to sea. To stop them from drowning. That's what turnbacks are. 
shame on you both. And most importantly, Sheldon, shame on you. Well, no, most importantly, shame on Scummo because he's like, you didn't stop the votes, you're lying sack of shit. And what, everything you've done is monstrous and you're a disgrace. And the idea that we at any point had to choose between you and Peter Bloody Dutton, the two worst monsters that this country has ever produced as prime minister. I mean, it's just despicable. Anyway. It's all bullshit. Every, everything that you that they say about refugees is a lie. Um, but the ALP endorsing it out of cowardice on the calculation that that is less damaging them to them than actually taking up the fight. So that's the reason for your one green to ALP vote. Um, or so one green, I don't know, two Socialist Equality Party, three Pirate Party, four, <laughs> if there's any other progressives on there, then Labor. Then the rotten... You know, then the bad... So... Yeah, I've actually sat down and tried to go through. The Victorian Senate paper has 31 um, groups. Uh, you count the ungrouped ones at the end um, as as a, as a group. In fact, there's a weird one where there's candidates who are not don't have a party name or anything, but they actually get a whole letter to themselves. I'm probably getting diverted too much into let's talking about how we how, what on earth we do with this giant paper of nightmare um, because vast the vast majority of it is right wing dickheads. Yeah, that paper, the paper, I don't know what it's like. I haven't seen what it's like in the other states yet, but the one in Victoria is terrible. The Liberals are at the top, so and the Libs Dems are sort of halfway down. So the Liberals won't lose out, as they have previously, from people voting Liberal Democratic think, Party thinking that it's the Liberals. So the Libs get A, the, the very top. The Greens get V, and Labor gets like W or X, like way down the end. Um, the Labor DLP Party, which are, who are right-wing scumbags, the Liberals' preference, the, you know, the parties are only doing six of the... Um, 31 above the line. All the parties just seem to be listing six, six and then letting their votes exhaust, if you mark above the line, um, if, according to their how to votes. And uh, the Labor DLP is so far right that the Liberals are, they put it, I think they put it above Australian Conservatives. Like, that's who Labor DLP are. But they're right up in the middle of the paper, well ahead of the ALP. So they will, they will benefit hugely from that confusion. They'll get people who are thinking they're voting for the party voting for the Labor DLP. And then Labor's also just problematically shoved right at the end. So um, that's shit. I don't know what you do with the parties, the, the absolute right-wing racist ratbags at the very end. You know, where, where, where do you put... How do you how do you decide which of the following goes last? Pauline Hanson's One Nation, Klein Palmer's UAP. That was the Great Australian Party of Rod Cullerton. You've got the um, Yellow Vest, which is the Australian Liberty Alliance assholes. Uh, you've got Rise Up Australia. You've got um, Australian Christians. You've got Fred Nile. So you've got your your fundamentalist bigots, your your racist bigots, your xenophobes. Your basically your insane the insane right end of the thing is huge. Now I don't know whether that works for them the way that it used to and obviously in the old days um you could use any of these parties to preference farm um because the group voting tickets basically if somebody put one above the line so convinced by the name then that could be used to redirect towards one of the more substantial parties so obviously there was an incentive to run giant you know you you might as well run a giant field because they've got each of these ratbag parties has exactly the same chance as a real party of getting at the front of the ballot and when i say ratbag party obviously you know you racist asshole parties um I would consider ratbags, but uh, I suppose they would consider that they are actually standing for something. But you've also got all these ones that you've never heard of before who don't really stand for anything other than to preference farm. Um, obviously, they can't do that the same way now because of the way that the above the line now doesn't work that way. You've got to love number one to six, and then they exhaust, and it doesn't go down a party ticket other than through their own line. So um, it will be interesting to see whether there's any point in those people putting up those minor parties and whether just, their money is just wasted. Um, but 
they do still have the problem of the order of the ballot being confusing and um, the fact that the Electoral Commission doesn't do anything about a party calling itself Labour or a party calling itself Liberal um, when that's clearly designed to be confusing. But on the other hand, I suppose, Labour is a, a term and Liberal are a, is a term and just because a party picks that that name, it doesn't mean they, they own that word, I suppose. It would be like if the um, word progressive or, you know, if you're, I suppose it's... I, look, I understand that those things are allowed. I think the solution to that is that you order the ballot paper in order of the first preference votes a party received last time. There won't be the confusion then. Like, you know, and you can have your ratbag parties way at the end because that's where they'll sit. And parties, yeah, listed according to what support they got last time. It means parties that are on their way up and that have some genuine support, they'll still be in the first you know, half a dozen or so. Like, you'll still see them. Um, it's just the ones that don't have any support that will sort of disappear off the end of the paper. And it will discourage people from running stupid minor, you know, just hoping to get in on a fluke parties. Um, and maybe we'll end up with some sensible ballot papers. Yes, I'm aware, obviously, the, benefit, the, the downside of that is it gives um, extra donkey vote power to the um, big two parties. But I suspect that ending the confusion is overall more of a positive than that is a negative. And people who are going to vote for those parties don't think the donkey vote is a big issue uh, at, that, at that end in the same way as I think the confusion is a, is a bigger problem. Um, and so the giant ballot papers, like, they make it more likely that people will stuff up their vote. I suppose we should hear something from those crank parties. So um, the Libs, who are preferencing uh, Clive Palmer, well ahead of the Greens, this is, this is the guy that they're endorsing. I've got $4 billion. Do you think I'll do anything for money? Do you think someone could give me a bribe? You know, it's just ridiculous. I'm not standing aside from anybody. I've got $4,000 million. I've got $500 million in the bank today. Do you think I'm going to worry about anybody else? I couldn't give a stuff. That one reminds me a lot of the old John Clark um, doing Jeff Kennett. Do you think that the public's ready for a mad government? Not interested in what the public wants. This is a democracy. If I'm mad, then the government's going to be mad if I run it. Use your brain, son. And over at the other end of the uh, appallingly shonky right wing... No, wait, it's the same end of the appallingly shonky right wing... I really genuinely don't know which one of these two terrible parties you would put lower than the other, Pauline Hanson or, or Clive Palmer. But anyway, this is Pauline on a current affair weeping, which probably actually worked with her terrible voters, uh, about the, the, the terrible coincidence that all of her candidates turn out to be, you know, grifters, racist, chunks and, and, cro and crooks. And I couple this all the time and I'm sick of it. Absolutely sick of it. I've had Fraser Anning, I've had Brian Burston, I've had a whole list of them, David Alford, you name them. Where are they now? Why are you still in it? Look at you. Why don't you walk? <laughs> I mean, look at, look at what it's doing to you. Well, to be fair, what it's doing to her is making her a lot of money. Like, you know, <laughs> what else is Pauline Hanson going to do for a, to, to, for a quid um, other than, you know, be paid as a senator and uh, take advantage of people's stupidity and racism. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the gig. That's what she's there for. Look, with a Senate ballot paper, I think what you have to do is basically divide them into good parties that actually stand for things that you agree with and, and, and you would like. Like, you would know that when it comes up to a vote, they will be voting with the progress on the progressive side of that issue. Like, so I would say the Greens. Um, but also... Um, I think the Pirate Party currently have some... Uh, they seem to be pretty much consistent with the Greens on most things. Um, the Socialist Quality Party probably as well. Like There are some... A um, bit iffy about animal justice, but the Greens uh, seem to be preferencing them highly, so maybe they're more progressive than they seem to be. 
I'd put those ones in the in the good category. Then you've got your um, okay, which is parties like Labor, who are have some positive policies this time around, but also you know do evil shit like you know vote for the um, coalition's security theatre every time that ASIO asks for some more powers at the expense of civil liberties. They're like, okay, sure, okay, you can have them. Um, we don't want to be seen as weak on national security. Or, you know, the, as we said, the, the horrible, uh, indefensible nonsense about um, brutalising refugees that, that basically is a, a stain on the country and um, I don't think you can vote for the ALP in good conscience um, while that continues. Because, because if you do, you're responsible for that horror. So I put them in the OK category, and then you've got your unknowns. So people who you genuinely don't know where they are. This is a tough one, though. I don't. You, you like? Should you treat them as they could be worse than the worst people? Because for all you know, because it's you know they're the people who could put up their views more clearly, and they haven't. Or do you go well? There's a possibility they're not so you know lunatics who are who are the, the absolute worst. So maybe I put them. Maybe I put them higher. I I'm not sure. I think some of them you want to put. Um, above the libs, the ones where they've said something positive in their stuff, even though you're not sure about the rest of it. So you put the, put them there, and then the one the, the parties that are bad, like the Liberal Party, um, and then after that you put the ones that you really know nothing about, and then you put the ones that are cartoonishly bad, which is you know your, your Pauline Hansons, your, your Clive Palmer's, your um, Liberty Alliance, what are they calling Yellow Vest, your Rise Up Australia, who are you know, they would literally bring back witch burning. They, they they're in, they're very problematic, horrible people. And I, I do think that you need... I, don't, I mean, I don't know how you prioritise within those, but I do think it's important to put the bad ones, like the Liberals, above those ones. Like, they still... And the Liberals are, are appalling and deserve to lose, and we need them to lose. But if it came down to your vote at the very end and the remaining two candidates were the last Liberal candidate and a Pauline Hanson candidate... Presumably, you would prefer that it were it was the liberal and not the Pauline Hanson one, because you know what happens when the Pauline Hanson one gets in, they get dis- they immediately lose their position because they haven't been vetted properly, and then there are um, Section Forty Four issues. Then some other crank from her ticket gets in, who's even worse, who's a literal Nazi. Like when this is what you get. Like the liberals are appalling, um, and I would rather that we weren't left with that terrible choice at the end. But like, surely we have a preference at that point. So don't let your vote exhaust until at least you, you've, you've got through the ones that are the second worst set, the bad, as opposed to the outright evil. I mean, seriously, in, as infuriating as this nonsense is from the libs, from Scummer, and, and how outright evil he is and how repulsive he is, um, I mean, here he's blathering about choice. At the next election, and I think there's a great choice here. And the choice is about having your choice. And obviously their current line is the, you can't afford the bill from Labor. Yes, when they spend money on public services that you benefit from, some people who are very rich may not get the giant tax cuts that we're offering them. And, and you know, you, you can't afford it. You, you can't afford Like, like he's talking to people who, are, I suppose they're trying to pitch at the people who are, wages are suppressed to can't afford basic living. And they're trying to be like, you can't afford them. And the hope that people who are currently struggling have forgotten they can't afford now. They can't afford this to continue. But, you know, I, I do like that he keeps running this camp- ad campaign for Bill Shorten. You vote for Bill Shorten, you're guaranteed Bill Shorten. You vote for me, Scott Morrison as Prime Minister, you're guaranteed me. I'm going to end with two things from Sky, uh, of all things. Uh, one of them is very depressing, and one of them is 
kind of reassuring. Should we take take the bad news first? So this is where like you can still tell the difference between people like Scummo and people on the even further right. Scummo is is evil, but I don't think he would quite say this. This is Mark Latham on Sky endorsing essentially harassing women on the train. This is what every uh, is what women experience every single day. Together, we can change that. How? When blokes stop harassing women and start respecting women, when blokes stop ignoring this kind of behaviour and start calling it out. Mark, pretty obvious. If I saw a lunatic like that on the train, why wouldn't you go, mate, are you right? Well, I don't know, Paul. How many trains do you catch? There's people staring at each other all day, every day on the train, OK? Trains are pretty boring places. Sure. And quite frankly, I, it's been a long-standing social reality that if you don't uh, have a good look at a beautiful person of the opposite sex, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, but you don't see the whole time. Well, I don't know. Was he thinking that I used to know her? She lived next door. She's my sister's friend. Did I root her in uni? Who knows what he's thinking as he's staring at her? So, look, there is a level of internalised misogyny or misogyny through policy, which you certainly see from the Liberals, and, you know, more extremely from their potential candidates who think it doesn't have to be disendorsed. Although, you know, reluctantly and not consistently. But at least they have the sense of shame that they wouldn't say anything like that and promote that kind of line and that kind of cover to the worst people that Mike Latham is happy to do. But more importantly, I mean, that was on Sky uh, where where Latham really gets a, 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 a lovely gig. But you will have noticed, uh, I think, if you're following my Twitters, that uh, there are a lot, there's a lot of pushback on Sky at the moment. Um, Sleeping Giants Australia have been pushing um, again, you know, on that, pushing to advertisers who were advertising on Sky with some success, and advertisers are pulling out, and it, you can tell that it's getting serious because Paul Murray came out with this whinge on Sky. As you know, there is a consistent campaign to silence Sky News, to knock us out of the game because we push back. That's it. Liar! They try to lower the bar, redefine the bar, change the bar, twist the bar, pretend the bar isn't there, to say that pushing back against things is hate speech. Liar! They decide what hate speech is. And they have decided that they are going to try to go after the people who sponsor this show, this channel. Well, I'm sad to say that a company that I am surprised has buckled to a movement of not that many people is Pizza Hut. Now, this was a tweet that came out in response to uh, the online attempts to shove us off the air. And this was what Pizza Hut said. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. We have contacted our advertising partner and will remove advertisements from the channel. Now, here's the deal. The people who hate us will always hate us. They will hate anything I have to say, including right now. Talking about them gives them power because they are internet trolls and talking about the troll only feeds the troll. But when the troll is trying to deny us being fed support, sponsorship, that keeps the lights on, that keeps the show going, we have to push back. So isn't that reassuring? We actually can put pressure on these bastards. Uh, there's another rant, which I haven't got the audio for, but I think I think it was Paul Murray again, ranting that he wasn't going to wash himself, wasn't going to keep brush his teeth, because uh, he, was going to, he, was, he wasn't going to give a cent to um, Colgate after they'd pulled out from uh, sponsoring his show and sponsoring Sky. Do they think that it's actually going to endear them to advertisers if they are advertisers and then if they ever pull out, they'll get attacked? Really? Yeah, good luck with that. Anyway, so there you are. 
they are feeling the pinch. And whilst they love using commercial pressure to um, argue for their own things, and they, they'll do that occasionally. They'll be like, look, if our side wasn't popular, we wouldn't be making all this money. But when it turns around and bites them in reverse, suddenly it's thoroughly illegitimate. Anyway, it's working, so that's good news. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Um, we'll be back with, with a proper episode with guests uh, next week. Uh, so look, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers for keeping the podcast going. Thank you very much to our Patreon subscribers. You are how the podcast keeps going. We're very, very grateful to each and every one of you. And uh, we very much appreciate your support. Uh, it means a lot to us. So thank you very much. And if you are enjoying the show and would like it to continue and you would like to subscribe through Patreon, the uh, link is in the show notes. Otherwise, thank you to everybody who has left a positive review for us on iTunes. Thank you for uh, engaging with us on the Twitter at WellMayWeSay. Thank you to Alex Lum for the artwork. Thank you, Robin Gray, for the music. And we will see you all, as I said, next week. All the best. Bye.